Thank you guys so much. Um, before I start, I think I'll just call on the big guns and go to some of the greatest hits really quick with some prayer. So if you don't mind, I'll try to blanket it with a little extra special sauce. So saying the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, open our hearts and our minds so we can draw near to you as I say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, then lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And for special prayers from the mother of Christ, they'll say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, Lord without end. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining me here. I'm so honored to be sharing on this very important topic, a little bit of my experience, strength, and hope. As it was previously mentioned, I am a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta. I just finished my first year in seminary. Everybody has been so supportive, except my wife. So I'm just kidding. She doesn't know. That joke. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, it's been an amazing year. I, there's no other place I'd rather be, and it feels right. You know, of all my adventures, all my career choices, of all the experiences I've had, this feels the most natural and the most peaceful. So um, I'll tell you a little bit of my story, but before that, uh, it was asked, you know, do you have any shortcuts or secrets to living a life of chastity, of purity? And honestly, I think I can the whole talk and just summarize it in 30 seconds, I do have a cheat code. Yeah, that's right. Ladies, it's a chastity belt, and fellas, fanny packs. Yeah. It's a celibacy starter kit right there, okay? You're welcome. All right. It's a great way to start off the talk, okay? See you guys later. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, in all seriousness, so I'll just start from the beginning. How did I get here, right? I mean, I grew up in a Jewish household. When I was five years old, the first experience I had in any sexual capacity or memory was actually of uh, being abused, not by a family member or anything, but that's one of the first things I remember. You know, and then moving forward, when I was about nine years old, my parents divorced, um, and that really, like, that did, that did something. You know, from that point on, it felt like this God-sized hole inside my heart to the point where I was trying so hard to fill it, to get affirmation from other people. Unfortunately, I, I compromised a lot of my integrity along the way. I remember, you know, when I was nine I, 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 or ten, it, it became clear I was different, you know. I was constantly getting uh, kicked out of class, out of trouble. I had, like... ADDD, you know, like way DD, pretty much. <laughs> like an ADHD, ADD in high definition. So, and I was getting in all kinds of, of, of trouble. You know, I wish they had more resources for me back in the day, right? Like they had these ADD schools. I wish they had like ADD songs. You know what I'm talking about? The wheels on the bus go, there's a squirrel. So, this was the beginning of this trajectory. And when about 13 or 14, it got pretty ominous, right? Around that time, I discovered my three primary addictions drinking, drugs, and lust, right? And it blossomed pretty quickly. You know, the drinking, the drugs, they all sort of evolved uh, simultaneously. And this was around the time computers were getting, you know, prevalent internet access. And so that did not help in the lust department, for sure. 
So at a very young age, right? I think when we're developing this sexual identity and realizing how we should or shouldn't relate to other people, there's been implanted in me a, a very unrealistic um, framework for what a normal relationship is supposed to be like. And so when I get to be about 15, 16, you know, I start to have more physical relationships. Unfortunately, uh, they were very selfish. I think a lot of them, uh, I thought, unfortunately, um, you know, it was all about uh, the chemistry, the romance, the magic. And there was really no spiritual backbone to that. You know, I, I left my Jewish faith early on. Um, once my parents divorced, that was pretty much it. Um, my dad was the chief catalyst for me going to Sunday school and all this stuff. And so all of a sudden, you know, I have really no template for faith. I did remember, though, when I was younger, my mom would pray the 23rd Psalm over me every night, um, which was a beautiful thing. And then sometimes she'd sing Ranka by Baby, which later freaked out my roommates. So <laughs> just kidding. Eventually. So anyway, I'm moving forward. And at the core of this is trying to fill a God-sized hole. And that's the thing I realized, regardless of the addiction, regardless if it's lust, regardless if it's drugs, regardless of alcohol, there's not enough of it to satisfy me, but there is enough to kill me. There is enough to ruin me, but by God's grace, it also pointed me in a much more beautiful trajectory. So um, when I was about 21, I remember um, waking up in a hospital, Piedmont Hospital, right down the road, with no idea how I got there, strapped to an emergency room bed, with a group of people huddling over me, and I just said, can I go, you know? And they were like, geez, I guess, but just take it easy next time. And, you know, with that same day, I was out living a pretty crazy lifestyle, you know, back to drinking, back to drugging. It was pretty miserable. I ended up um, about 23 years old getting into uh, a 12-step recovery group totally changed my life. I went in for the first time, and they told me, you know, how much better life could be. I was showing up. Um, I was doing the thing, but I didn't do any steps. I didn't get a mentor in there. I didn't um, really take the suggestions that were given to me. So moving forward, um, I went back out, and it was like I never stopped. And so I come back um, about nine months later, and, you know, that's the dangerous thing for me. If I don't have God in the middle of a bad behavior, I won't restart it. I'll just resume it. You know, I won't build back up to where I left off. I'll pick uh, back up where I was. And so I jump back in. Um, I get some help, and my 12-step mentor at that time, he was uh, Catholic. It was a pretty awesome experience. He started me on a very gentle journey of prayer, not affiliated with any religion, not affiliated with any denomination, but it was the baby step I was comfortable with, because I was not really comfortable with this whole Jesus concept, right? Um, when I was five years old, I remember a babysitter that I had told me that my dad was going to hell for being Jewish, and so at that point, I pretty much checked out from Christianity. I didn't want much to do with it. I was, you know, able to take this program, which was based upon Christian principles, and apply them to my life. And my life got radically better really quick. By God's grace, I haven't had a drink or drug since August of 2008. And uh, my worst, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And I can honestly say my worst day sober is infinitely more meaningful than my best uh, drinking or drugging. Life is a lot, a lot better.
And so I, I come back, and I can see God working in my life. It's incredible, right? Like, dreams start to come to fruition once I start to at least invite God in, you know? And more and more, he's revealing himself to me. I, I remember back when things hit a boiling point in that area. I always had this dream of doing stand-up comedy. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just too far gone to accomplish any of my dreams. And I think that, for me, was, you know, a low point, thinking that I... My best days were gone and behind me at 23 years old. And so I come back, and uh, all of a sudden, once I start incorporating prayer, once I start living, uh, you know, I think a life of spirituality, which involved making amends to people at harm, making restitutions, sharing and confessing my fears, resentments, harm with another person, right? God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And life was getting a lot better. It was undeniable. So within that first year, uh, I got to do stand-up comedy on national TV. I was a finalist on this show, Bill Bellamy's Who's Got Chips or semi-finalist. I uh, was flown to Los Angeles um, for a, a, another event called NBC Stand-Up for Diversity. It was really incredible. I knew that there was something in there. God was bringing my dreams to fruition in a pretty incredible way. Um, and essentially, if you're a stand-up comic, right? Like, everyone always has that question, oh, you're a comedian, tell me a joke, right? It's like, I don't do that with other people. Oh, you're a lawyer, tell me a lie. So, okay. <laughs> Got some lawyers in the audience tonight, all right. Yeah. Are you a lawyer? Yeah. Uh, okay, there we go. I'll go to confession after Father's Day. <laughs> so, life is getting a lot better, a lot quicker. Um, but I realized that there was something there. There was a, a chink in my, my, my armor, and that was I was still living a life of impurity. There was this interior disturbance. Like, I, I knew that there was a person that God wanted to, me to be, and this wasn't it. Right? My relationships were selfish, still having trouble with pornography. And the bottom line for me was all those relationships were so empty. Right? I mean, I remember being in those kinds of relationships, and it seemed like I got everything I wanted. And then at the end of the night, or whenever we parted ways, there was just this bottomless hole in my soul. And it was just not enough. And to the fact, I actually remember going to a psychologist and being like, why isn't this making me complete? Because I think there is something incredibly beautiful that God has in store for a marital sexual embrace. But I just realized quickly that that could not be accomplished outside of God's plan. It always left me empty. And um, there was just such a deficiency of joy. So I was told to call this individual. And it was another, uh, it was recommended by my Catholic 12-step sponsor. And it was a gentleman who had freedom in this particular area. He actually had 13 years of purity through another 12-step fellowship. And I called him and I asked him over that phone. I remember, I thought that I'm just doomed. And I said, is there any way to get over this thing? And he said, yes. And I'm glad I got that monkey off my back. And it was like the light of God reached through that phone and touched me in the heart. And I knew that purity was possible. I can't explain it except for a beautiful moment of grace. So I start meeting this person who is Catholic, by the way, wonderful gentleman uh, who later sponsored me in RCIA and helped me pursuing priesthood. He's definitely earned his commission, I would <laughs> say. So uh, I meet him. He tells me a little about his story. He's gone far lower into the uh, rabbit hole than I had, I would say. He's definitely gone, uh, gone lower than me. And so I asked him right there, will you help me? Will you sponsor me? He said yes. And so I started to meet with him, and again, I told him, he asked me to tell him everything shameful that I had done or experienced, right, my entire history. 
But I've heard that phrase, well, how much should I share with a priest in confession or with a spiritual director if there's something in the, on my back? With the response being, how free do you want to be? You know, there were certainly things that had slipped through the cracks over the years that I was holding on to. And so when I shared this, again, it was like the light of God was unthawing my soul. And I felt this joy, this peace, this purpose that I had never experienced in my life. And I can remember going to a wedding to, for my cousin within my like first month of chastity. Which, by, the, by God's grace in this group, I, I've lived a life of purity and chastity since March 9th of 2010. Which, yes, no, no joke, for real. This has been an amazing blessing. It's no pornography, um, you know, staying pure, as, as we would define it in the catechism, by God's grace. It's miraculous. And so I remember that first month. I'm going to this wedding, and there's somebody who ex- seemed to express interest, and I was just very tempted. With God's grace, I think I took a breath out of prayer, I'm assuming, and I just said, you know, I'm good. I can't go out to the bar with you guys tonight. And it was like, you know, that one little victory led to so many other little victories. I think that's the, the whole point of, you know, pursuing purity in any way. It's just, it's a series of many victories, right? Like many triumphs rooted in integrity. You know, through God's grace, through fellowship, because I don't think it can be done without fellowship. You know, we can't fight this battle alone. I just remember um, there were just a few close calls early on. By God's grace, I surrendered. And I remember calling that gentleman um, after one of them. And I said, you know, this, this, I almost backslided here. I just, I just feel like I've come too far to go backwards. And he said, you know, you're right. You have come too far. And so... I'm moving forward, you know, starting to grow more in my prayer life through prayer, meditation. God is coming through in the bottom of the night. I'm having tools to overcome um, these temptations, which is really having a network of beautiful people that can call if temptation arises or bringing God into that uh, situation as soon as possible. And realizing how God truly does come through in the bottom of the night, regardless of what the struggle is. And so I'm growing in chastity, and I'm living this life of chastity, and, and by Christian principles, although I'm not even Christian, and this Jewish psychologist that I was seeing, because I have uh, diagnosed OCD, said, you know, I think that you would be more likely to find a person that you really relate to at, like, a church than versus one of your comedy shows. You know, it's just not, you, your spiritual compatibility isn't really lining up. Why don't you go to that Protestant megachurch down the road? And so I show up, and I start going there, and I don't believe in the whole Jesus thing. Um, I just think that he was maybe had a powerful, wise message. Um, but I did sit in the back, and the guy was a good preacher. I was like, you know, these are applicable life lessons, so I'll just take them and apply them to my daily life. While I'm going, I'm going, I end up joining a small group, and then one day, um, I'm on a family vacation after multiple small groups. My mom gave me a Bible that was, like, collecting dust in 2010. And so I'm in this small group. And I'm on, actually, I'm on a family vacation, and for whatever reason, and I don't know what the reason was, I start reading my Bible. And when I would close my eyes after reading one of the Gospels, I would see images of Jesus with his arms open wide, bathed in light, ready to embrace me. And I felt this, like, static shock of love hit me in the heart, and it was unlike any joy that I'd ever experienced in my entire life. And at first I was like, you know, I don't want any of this. I don't want to be one of those weird people with their hands in the air during the worship music like they got a question for the pastor. (laughs) But the love overwhelmed me and I accepted it into my heart. And it was like for a week I felt like the Spirit of God was blowing through me in a way that was just supernatural. I even remember going and performing a stand-up show um, in Vero Beach, Florida. And it was myself and another person. You're pretty much by yourself in one of these comedy shows, right? 
And it was like I didn't need anything or anybody. I was so cocooned in the love of God that that was all that I needed to satisfy. I remember, you know, after a show, talking to a family, there was a, uh, a person there I was like, very interested in, but I could tell it was for all the wrong reasons. And just through God's grace, surrendering and walking away, but realizing that what I had was so special that it was worth holding on to no matter what the cost, right? This emerging purity that was very much resulted in a blossoming relationship with Jesus. It, it was the love that I was looking for in all of those, um, I would say, fictitious or unsubstantial encounters um, or moments of lust or temptation. So I'm moving forward, and I go back, and I eventually get baptized um, at this church, and it's pretty incredible. Again, it was one of the mega churches, so I was in, like, the Jesus jacuzzi, you know, in front of 3,000 people. <laughs> they dunk me, and everyone's cheering, you know, like it was a home Falcons game or something. It was pretty radical. And, you know, moments like that really prompted me to, I think, grow in my faith. I felt God saying, you know, you need to be more public with your faith. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's you, God. I'm going to just not pay attention to that. I've got a bad connection here. But what I, I know he was calling me to post that baptism testimonial publicly. I fought it. I fought it. I fought it. I did. And, again, finally, I just felt so compelled. and was pressured by people, too. I remember that scripture they were saying, like, Jesus says, well, if you're ashamed of me on earth, I'm going to be ashamed of you in heaven. I'm like, I hate that. Okay. So I posted it. And again, the more public I got, I think like with, in good taste with my faith, I just felt this increasing proximity with Jesus that was so beautiful and so fulfilling. Right? All those things that I was looking for in a drug or in something that didn't align with my integrity, I was finding and surrendering to God's plan. Again, I was starting to hear his voice with such clarity, with, with more clarity at least. You know, it was like the cell signal between us went from Boost Mobile to Verizon all of a sudden. It was very powerful. Um, again, I started helping a lot of other people in recovery, helping men find purity. I was getting years under my belt, you know, really sponsoring other people into this life of integrity, which God has so graciously given me. And I'm starting to date people in like a healthy context. And it was beautiful. And I think that was the one thing I realized. You know, the catechism says there's 12 fruits of the Spirit. And I'm going to say right here, charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. And again, like they say, modesty is hottest. So, that's weird. I'm sorry. Just have to kill it. I talk like this the rest of the time. In a world, one man. Chastity, right? But one of the blossoming points of that, of living in a life of chastity, is friendship. It says friendship is the result of chastity. That's the beautiful thing I noticed about people that I dated or had, you know, in, in chastity. I could sit down with probably all of those people, at least most of them. For a cup of coffee now and it would be absolutely fine i could bump into them on the street and we would be friends because i was living you know a life consistent with god's word um not the same case for before i was living a life of purity right and i like to talk to guys like that i sponsor it's like if that works if that life is so much better where are all those people that you had relationships with like why aren't they at your next birthday party why aren't you getting lunch with them right it's because and i just believe that um, for me, living outside of God's plan does not foster a lasting union. So, 
I'm dating people in a healthy context, growing in prayer, you know, growing in service work, which again, like I just believe that, that is such a one of fruit of chastity, but also something that helps me. Like like they say, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. So when I can do something for somebody else, it's one of the greatest gifts for relieving uh, one temptation, but also just self-centeredness. And so I'm dating healthier people, right? Because some of those times it can be scary. You know, I'm like learning how to do it. It's like, do I ask this person out? I don't know them all that well. You know, scariest person you could ever ask out is your bank teller, right? Because they've got a little too much inside information. I tried to do it before I was in seminary. I was like, hey, what's up? Can I take you out to dinner sometimes? She's like, ooh, apparently not. So, <laughs> scariest person you could ever ask out is your pharmacist, right? Because they know your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> like, hey, what's up, Wallachinoma? I'm a professional comedian. I got a place in Atlanta and Los Angeles. You could be dating a man that's bi-coastal. Like, really? I thought you had a place in the Arctic and Antarctic because based on this prescription, you're bipolar. <laughs> so I'm moving forward. I'm growing. There was something missing. I moved back to Los Angeles. I ended up... Um, pursuing comedy out there, and there were certainly some successes, but this was around the time that I think as a result of a relationship with God, um, my integrity, again, is growing more and more in certain areas, and things that took to succeed in the particular realm of entertainment I was in, in Los Angeles, it, I was too uncomfortable, to be honest. It tainted my spirituality, my connection with God, and so after nine months of being out there and having some successes, I ended up coming back. My grandfather passed away. I'm there with my mom, and I just start questioning. Did I make a mistake? Should I have stayed out in Los Angeles? Should I have done that? You know, God had this big plan for me. Did I flee? Wasn't Catholic then. You know, again, I said I went from Jewish to nothing to Protestant at this point. And so this mentor of mine that was helping me live a life of purity, I told him, for whatever reason, I'm going to join you at Mass on Saturday. Not thinking that there's anything different than with a Catholic Mass than a, a Protestant service. It's all church, right? So I ended up going to this service, and I'm sitting in the back uh, with him, and I left. It was like God had pressed pause on my problems. I had this perpetual anxiety, you know, running through my head. Did I mess up? Did I screw up God's plan? And I left. And it was like I had this peace that surpassed understanding. And I really believe that the reason that that happened was because of a Eucharistic proximity. Because I was... Within meters, I would say, of Jesus in the tabernacle. Again, he was it was like just God pressed pause on my problems when I left. So I kept going back. So I go to the Catholic Church on Saturday, Protestant Church on Sunday, volunteer, do all my stuff, eventually joined a, a Catholic Bible study, and it was a, a, a beautiful, you know, experience. I, I so greatly treasure what I learned from my previous Protestant church. I mean, they brought me to Christ, they taught me the value of scripture. Um, they were incredible disciples and really showed me how to, I think, love sacrificially and serve sacrificially. But there was something really special when I was going um, to this Saturday Mass. And so I ended up moving into a house just by chance with one of the worship leaders from this particular church. And so I made a commitment. A, a Protestant mentor of mine, he said, Josh, I, you know, let's make this commitment to like pray at a, a holy place one hour a week. Right? Then I started saying, you know what, I'm going through a tough time right now. I'm going to make it like an hour, five days a week. And so I said, Siri, what's the nearest church to me? And Siri responded, Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so I start showing up. I'm doing these unintentional holy hours at Immaculate Heart of Mary. 
And one day I show up and there's a mass there. And I'm like, you know, let's just go to this the next day. What's that going to hurt? So I show up, I'm starting to go to this mass, and um, they could smell the fresh Protestant scent on me, you know? Because <laughs> they're asking me to pray the rosary with them. They're throwing beads at me like it's Mardi Gras. And I started praying this rosary, and then there was this, it was, again, this anchoring of peace that surpassed understanding. I joined a Bible study at this church. Within a year, I was in RCIA, um, and that same mentor who helped me live this life of purity uh, was sponsoring me in RCIA as well. So again, I come to the church in Easter, again, receiving First Communion, and it was, again, like this peace that surpassed understanding. I remember receiving First Communion, it was like I felt the love of Christ just gently explode in my head and cascade down my body. And I had never felt such love the next day when I woke up at any point in my life. Like I never loved my dog that much, my mom that much, right? God's creation that much. There was just this blossoming joy that I felt palpably as a result of this true union with the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ himself. There's this awakening happening. It's kind of like, what is God calling me to? You know, I've dated a bunch of wonderful people, but it's something just didn't feel right. Like, it felt like maybe there's a path for me to love more, to love better, to love more completely, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it. But I, I, I just really just start to identify that, you know? And so my, my, my RCIA sponsor one day, we were meeting, and he said, Josh, you know, after the dating plenty of wonderful people, he said, Josh, I think God might have another plan for your life. Why don't you call this person? It was the vocations director. And so I call and I start going on these discernment retreats. So I'm like the only non-Catholic on a discernment retreat, discerning the priesthood. So it's kind of weird. And I'm like, you know, how long do you have to be Catholic before you apply to seminary? What if you're not Catholic? That's, that, that's not good. So I'm discerning this and um, do, do daily mass, regular holy hours, regular rosaries, and uh, it, it just became intensely clear. You know, sometimes it was almost like God was showing off. I, when I was in prayer, I could hear God saying, I'm calling, will you answer? Right? I remember one time I was at Mass, and there was this, this wonderful person I was interested in. I'm, I'm going to ask that person now. Everyone's saying any discern, whatever. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm playing by my own rules, God. I, you're wrong. And so um, I'm, I'm waiting for Mass to end, and all of a sudden, there's a special guest who hits the podium and says, I just um, want to let you know, my name is Branson Hip. I'm the assistant vocations director. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Give me a break. I remember thinking similar thoughts one time when I was praying in adoration. I'm like, I can't do this, God. I don't think this is you. I'm just like, this is go wrong. And all of a sudden, the choir from outside the church starts singing this song called We Are Called. <laughs> You're freaking me out, man, God. You're just showing off. So it felt abundantly clear, right? Even before I was at the two-year point where you could actually apply to seminary. It was around this time I got this gig on a cruise ship um, doing stand-up comedy. I was doing other shows as well, but I got a contract from Carnival Cruise Ships to do stand-up comedy uh, on these, these ships. It was like... A dream gig. You know, I only had to be at the sea for like six to nine days at a time. I got paid really, really well, and the audiences were awesome. So it became clear how important the sacramental life was for me when I was on these ships, when I would do anything it took to get to Mass or to Adoration. I'd be in the Bahamas. I remember running about a mile or a mile and a half when I was in Nassau to get to a church. 
Uh, it wasn't even open. I had to ask the maintenance man to open the, the church so I could do a holy hour. And he told me what the priest's car looked like. He wasn't there. So I waited for that car to show up at the rectory, and I rang the doorbell. And uh, he's like, hello. I'm like, hey, I'm a comedian for Carnival Cruise Ships. Mass is tomorrow. I won't be able to go on Sunday. Could you give me communion right now? I was like, just a second. <laughs> this big Bahamian priest celebrates Mass or communion with me at his kitchen table. Here's my confession. Right? And at the end of that, he's like, man, you must be called the priesthood, bro. You're doing all this? I mean, even if I never see this just encourages me so much. That became the focal point, right? This sacramental pursuit while I was at sea. And it broke my heart when there were days we were at sea and I couldn't receive, you know, communion or be in front of the blessed sacrament. So when COVID hit in 2020, I was on this ship and it was one of my last shows and the cruise director came up to me and was like, okay, we just got the word from, you know, the top. Uh, we are stopping all cruises after this. Um, have a good show. Don't tell anybody. It's like, all right. You couldn't get me off that ship fast enough, though, right? Because I wanted to get to mass. I wanted to get to adoration. Like, there was this interior freedom that was grounded in this sacramental life that, you know, I didn't experience when it was irregular. And so, while I'm on this ship, I mean, it felt clear, so I'm, I'm trying to live very much in alignment with the chassis, which, by God's grace, I did successfully. I get off the ship. I come back, and I start to do these extra holy hours. And again, it was like God was turning the self-signal up from Boost Mobile to the horizon. There was such peace. There was such joy. All those applause, all that money, like, it, it didn't hold a candle. It's a living, a holier, more devout life. Christ. So I realized at some point that, you know, it just felt so clear that this was what God was calling me to. So I just, I realized I stopped dating. I ended up applying to seminary and got accepted to seminary. And, you know, here we are. I can say after a year that this is the most joy I've felt in my entire life. Minus the audiences, minus the uh, fanfare. I've been sweeping the floors at the seminary and being like, you know, I feel more joy now. Um, than I did back then. And I guess I just say that in the sense of like whatever vocation God calls you to, right? He's always calling you to more. It's, it's, it's always a call to love better and to love deeper and to fully give yourself, I think, to him and to others in a way that will blossom in a true sense of interior freedom, peace, and passionate purpose. So, um... I'm going to just share a few things I found that I think have helped me really quick. I just boil it down. Daily holy hour, daily rosary, daily mass, having a mentor, having service commitments, if there are any underlying addictions or things that need to be deal dealt with, you know, being honest about them and taking steps to offload those. If I abide in that the, you know, intentional lifestyle, I will be contacted. By the big guy. So, um, with that being said, I've got a few minutes of slides. Well, just some really quick slides, I think, so it won't be a total hostage situation. So, what does the Bible say about temptation? Um, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Blessed is the man who perseveres in temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. 
But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Now, that's a pretty explicit statement. But I think if you just boil it down, it's saying, like, hey, if there's anything that's causing you to not love um, to your truest, fullest capacity, let it go. Right? I've got a better plan for you. I remember my first year in seminary, I got there. And now, keep in mind, I've not looked for pornography in over 12 years, okay? But I realized that the campus Wi-Fi system was, like, monitored. And so um, this thought came to my mind. It's like, you know, if you were going to look at anything sketchy, you could look at it on your fancy smartphone. Um, again, it's not like that had been an issue for me. I had a smartphone for a while. But it's just like, you know, I was like, you know, I talked to my mentor. I'm like, I don't want this narrative, like, running through my head, this little gremlin. Again, I've not typically had to have filters or anything by any means. But, like, I just said, you know what? Like, you're right, I cause you to soon tear it out. I'm switching phone plans. Chastity mobile. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's the official self on celibacy, okay? <laughs> So, um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Another thing I think is super important, power in numbers, right? There's the discipleship model. I do not think that it is possible to overcome any affliction. I mean, that it, it is like a deep-seated affliction, regardless of what that is. I mean, at least an addiction without mentorship and group accountability. Like it says in First John, we proclaim to you what we have heard and seen so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Again, Jesus walked with 12 other people. Like, He gives us the opportunity to serve and be served. So I think that is just so critical to have a spiritual mentor that is wiser with me, a spiritual director, you know, that's wiser than me, and a group or at least people that I can check in with as I pursue purity, because it's like if I hang around the barber for long enough, by myself, I'm going to get a haircut, okay? So again, accountability, so, so critical. Because what are we what are we trying to do ultimately? I, I think regardless, like if it's you, you're living the priesthood or in seminary where you're pursuing a call to like love God and love others fully and completely, or you're called to marriage to sacrificially lay your life down for the other person so that you both can grow in holiness and happiness and servitude, be on a mutual mission for Christ, like it says in Ephesians. Right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Right? True love is defined by sacrifice. Right? I mean, there's a sacrifice in what I'm doing right now, certainly, but there's also a sacrifice in marriage every day. Right? It's a million deaths to self, but ultimately, like St. Francis says, it is in dying that we're born to eternal life. And especially gentlemen, laying your lives down. Uh, it looks something like this. <laughs> take some risks tonight. This was shot three weeks ago. Just kidding. 
Let's see what the catechism has to say. No, not that again. <laughs> Definitely not that again. Let's strike that from the record. Okay, for fecundity is a gift, an end of uh, marriage. Conjugal love tends to be fruitful. Again, what is the uh, call to marriage, right? I mean, it's ultimately, especially in the sexual embrace, right? It's unitive and procreative. Um, it's always oriented to, to those two things, right? So um, chastity is the successful integration of sexuality with the, in the inner unity of the man and his bodily and spiritual being. And if we govern these actions, we find peace. Again, it says in the Catechism, tools or self-knowledge, practice of ascesis, adapted to the situations that confront him, obedient to God's commandments, exercise of moral virtues, and fidelity to prayer. I think that last one is so important, right? It's like if I give God one hour of my day, he gives me 23 back. Especially, I heard a story today. Um, I guess the lady got the name of, uh, ended up connecting with this guy, and he asked her out, and she said, sure, um, why don't you meet me for my holy hour? And I thought, wow, what a cool way to start a relationship or a date. But, you know, I mean, insane that guy's actually going to show up. So I think he did, and, you know, I don't know what happened. I think hopefully they're married or something. <laughs> what we put in our minds and our hearts um, definitely shapes the people we become. I've heard someone say, like, show me your five closest friends, and I'll show, tell you the person you are. But similarly, like, I think people could potentially pinpoint my identity, the trajectory of my life, um, by the media choices I made as well. I don't know if Billy Graham said it or what, but if I was a trafficking Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? If someone looked at my playlist, in my movie choices, in my podcast, whatever it is, I'm not saying that, you know, again, we need to sanitize completely everything we do, but I think the bottom line is, like, is this bringing me closer to God and the person I want to be, or is it like pulling me farther away from the last thing I will just end with is Philippians 4.8. Is finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. The whole world is so opposite of this. You know, I would just say to like any lady here, like if a guy's trying to, to get you to break your integrity, you know, to live relationally in a way that is not in line with your faith, like he's not good enough for you. Just say it straight up, right? And like for me, you know, if there are any gentlemen in here or you have friends that like they're struggling with uh, impurity or especially like the stuff they look at online, you know, especially if someone's getting ready to get married, like that's so dangerous. Like I could say personally, like I would have to look at a person if I'm living in that life and say, you know what, I just want to let you know that you will never be enough for me. It's like saying, you know, a real person's not enough and one person's not enough. And I'm not saying this in a con condemning or shameful way. I'm just saying, like, whenever we live outside of God's plan, it's kind of like the Lord saying, hey, you're settling for peanut butter and jelly and I got steak on the grill. Because ultimately, imagine the, the first time experiencing um, sex within the context of marriage. And then that child being a representation, you know, being a co-creator in God's plan through the marital embrace, like this child was born out of love. And he's a reminder of the fidelity and union I have with my wife. So anyway, if, if anyone struggles with anything in particular, there's just, there's plenty of resources. You know, there's 12-step groups. I think there's a 
group called Desert Streams, and they have a lot of different resources for personal or, you know, uh, living with relational integrity from a multitude of contexts, from uh, impurity, same-sex attraction. Um, there's Friends of St. Joseph. There's 12-step groups. Feel free to email me or reach out personally. I'll help with whatever I can. And, uh, you know, I know we got goofy tonight, but it's a serious topic, so I just figured we'd lighten it up. So, um, anyway, with that being said, do we break into some groups now? All right, so um, why don't we just, I'm just ask two questions. Before I ask the question, is there any question that someone in particular would, would like to discuss in these groups? Okay, well then I'll just ask this, two questions. Based on this talk, um, I guess, how do you find God showing up in your life in this way, especially in your faith, you know? What successes maybe have you had living this out? Yeah, so how do you look this out? What have you gained? What do you think about this talk? Anything in particular strike you? And then, um, if there's anything you could say to somebody that has helped you one growing connection with Christ, especially within relational integrity, what would you say? If there's a tool, if there's a thing, if there's a particular whatever. Um, that cool? That, yeah. Yeah? Okay. That's good. Cool. Break. <laughs>